Shalom. This is Reverend John Ferret, and welcome to the vidcast series that's entitled Hanukkah, the Return of the King. And right now we're on the video in that series that's associated with Candle 6 of the Hanukkah menorah. And as I am wont to do, as I'm teaching Bible studies, whether it's on a podcast or a vidcast or actually live, I like to do a blessing. Before we get started, a blessing unto God, thanking him for his word, thanking him for his son, thanking him for the gospel, thanking him for salvation. I will be reciting it in Hebrew, just like they did in Jesus's day. They would do a blessing before Bible study in Jesus's day. So I'll read the Hebrew slowly, and you can repeat after me, and then we can say it together in English. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaCholam, Ashir Bakar Banu Mikol HaHamim, Veinatan Lanu Etorato, Veinevuim HaTovim, Veinatan Lanu Et HaBesora Mashiach Yeshua. Veinatan lanu et habrit chadasha. Barukatah Adonai noten hadevrei emet. And together in English, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from all people and given us his Torah and the good prophets and given us the good news of Messiah Jesus and given us the new covenant. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the words of truth. If this is your first time watching any of these videos on Hanukkah, I really urge you to go back before you even watch this one on Candle 6 and go back to the introduction. All of these are built up in a sequence only for the simple reason Jesus taught in a sequence. We're trying to follow that sequence, and so therefore it's very important as one video leads into another. And so therefore, you really need to understand what's going on in the third video, for instance, to go to the fourth video. Uh, and especially, for instance, we're in the video on Candle 6. Very important to understand what happened with regards to the events that were described in video 5. So I really urge you to go back there. And what you can do is go back to the website, www.lightamenorah.org, and you can see it there on your screen. And when you are there at the website, there should be a search window in the top right-hand corner. It's pretty obvious. And you can type in the word Hanukkah, C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H, C-H. A-N-U-K-A-H. I'm using the, uh, you might say, the traditional spelling of Hanukkah as it's related to uh, the actual pronunciation of the Hebrew. But anyway, when you type Hanukkah into the search window and do a search, you will get the entire list of all of the videos. Uh, they happen to be uh, set up in a different way. Uh, the last one uh, is first, and the first video in the entire vidcast series is is last. 
So you'll have to slide down, as they say, using your mouse and uh, find the first one and then work your way back up again, watching the videos that way. So going back to that first video, back to the introduction and working your way through candle one and candle two and all the way through the entire Hanukkah series, we went into great detail with regards to the fact that Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and we call it the Mount Olivet Discourse, and he's talking about his return. And the purpose of this vidcast series is to show that those disciples 2,000 years ago probably understood Jesus in a far different way than we would, only for the simple reason Jesus is teaching them related to history that they already knew. The books of Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, were already written. They knew this history. This was their July 4th. This was their Remember the Alamo. So this is related to actual historical events that happened in Israel from about 170 to about 164 B.C., the revolt of the Maccabees that leads to the capture of Jerusalem, coming in to Jerusalem, and coming into the temple and trying to clean it up from all the pagan statues, sacrifices, and so on that had polluted the temple. It was called the abomination of desolation. And Hanukkah means dedication. It was the first dedication then at that time, the first dedication ceremony after they had defeated the Maccabees, the actual uh, Jewish people who actually defeated the Seleucid Greek Empire, the Seleucid Greek Kingdom. So this time, what we want to do is, I'd like to, before we get into uh, the lesson for today, I'd like to consider the verses all the way back from the introduction until even the video on Candle 5 to consider the verses that are in the books of Maccabees as related to Jesus teaching his disciples 2,000 years ago from the Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Let's go take a look. The first verse we're looking at, you take a look at there, is 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 10. And we're reading, The wicked ruler Antiochus Epiphanes... And that name is used right there in the beginning of the first book of Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes, which is important. He's the son of King Antiochus the third. This is Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. So this is King Antiochus the third of Syria was a descendant of one of the of one of Alexander's generals. Now Epiphanes in Greek means God manifest. In other words, Antiochus was basically saying, "I am God in the flesh," and this would be something that every Jew 2,000 years ago would know. They would understand this was part of their history. They said, when we think about Hanukkah, when we're celebrating Hanukkah, we remember the evil king related to Hanukkah who said he was God. Now, what's interesting, though, is Jesus is in Jerusalem on Hanukkah. This is in John 10, starting in verse 22. It says he was there for the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Hanukkah. And that's exactly what it means. Now, as you're reading those verses in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22, 
He said, what my father has given me is greater than everything, and no one can snatch them from the father's care. The father and I are one. The Jews who heard him say this wanted to stone him on Hanukkah. And Jesus said, why are you trying to stone me? For which of my works are you trying to stone me for? And they said, none of your works, but that you made yourself out to be God. Is this a coincidence? That on Hanukkah, Jesus, when he makes the statement, the Father and I are one, he knew he's God. He knew their reaction. And isn't it interesting that it's on Hanukkah and every Jew would remember that this man, this Greek pagan, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, declared himself God. A couple of next verses in 1 Maccabees. On the 15th day of the month of Kislev in the year, uh, in the year, King Antiochus set up the abomination of desolation. I labeled it as A. You'll see that in just a second. He set up the abomination of desolation on the altar of the temple, and pagan altars were built in the towers throughout Judea. And that's 1 Maccabees 54 through 55. A little bit later on, in 1 Maccabees chapter 2, then Mathathias, who's the high priest, not the high priest, he is the priest in Modin, who really was the instigator of the entire revolution against the Greeks, and his son Judah the Maccabee becomes the military hero of this period, who actually defeats the Greek armies, and he's the, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable how, how in most cases, they are totally outnumbered. You'll see that in a little bit. But anyway, Mathathias went through the town shouting, everyone who is faithful to God's covenant and obeys his laws, follow me. With this, he and his sons, B, fled to the mountains, leaving C, behind all they owned. So when we take these verses, Jesus does something in the exact sequence. This is in Matthew 24, 15 through 18. You will see A, the abomination of desolation, of which the prophet Daniel spoke. Now let me just stop there quickly. The abomination of desolation is mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 11. In both of those cases, when you take the Bible and put Daniel 8 and 11 into its historical context, it is clear that Daniel is predicting the reign of this king, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. So, it will be standing in the holy place. Note to the reader, understand what this means. Then those who are in Judea, B, must run to the hills. Someone who is on the roof of the house must not take the time, C, must not take the time to go down and get any belongings from the house. Someone who is in the field must not go back to get the cloak. This is an exact correlation. These, how these, these are how these events are presented in the book of Maccabees, and Jesus does it exactly in the same sequence. Let's take a look at more. So when here we read, mothers who, mothers who had actually circumcised their sons were put to death according accordance to the king's decree. Their babies were hung around their necks, and their families and those who had circumcised them were also put to death. That's A. Then later on, in 1 Maccabees chapter 2, many Jewish families, likely B, fled in the winter and hid in caves were massacred on the Sabbath. Because those Jewish dads and moms and kids 
they were answering the Greeks who were outside the caves and they, the Greeks were saying, come on out. And they wouldn't fight. They were massacred in those caves because as they stated, we will not come out, they answered. We will not obey the king's command and we will not profane the Sabbath. And in 1 Maccabees chapter 1 at verse 64, a very interesting verse, in his anger, God made Israel see suffer terribly. It was a terrible time of persecution and torture. Terrible time of martyrdom. Thousands and thousands of Jewish people who would not give up on their walk with God were martyred by the decrees and the laws of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. But let's look what Jesus says. This is in Matthew 24, 19 through 21. How terrible it would be for the, uh, in those days for A, women who are pregnant, and for A, mothers with little babies. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Notice the sequence. Pray to God that you will not have to be run away during the winter or on a Sabbath. Yes. It is likely that the revolt of the Maccabees happened probably in late December or even January. We don't know the exact date. Now, we could, and maybe I have missed it, but the thing is, it's pretty clear that it's probably late December or January. So all of this starts in winter. And so, indeed, those families who are hiding in the caves, they had fled more than likely in the January-February time frame and were hiding in the caves in the foothills of the mountains, or even maybe even the wilderness area of Judea near the Dead Sea. So again, as Jesus says, for there will be a see a great tribulation at that time. It will be far more terrible than any there has ever been. A thousand times worse than the terrible suffering that occurred in Israel during the time of the revolt of the Maccabees. From the beginning of the world to this very day, nor will there ever be anything like it again. So we can see the amazing correlation. And that's what we have covered, but we've covered it in a lot more detail with a lot more background, understanding names of peoples and going into the events in a deeper way. Now at the website, for this lesson, so if you go there and you find Hanukkah, Return of the King, Candle 6, there will be a picture there, and the picture will be of the Hanukkah menorah with six candles lit. Not counting the center candle. You don't count the center candle. So it really is the center candle, the middle one, and then you've got six candles lit from right to left. Anyway, underneath that picture, I normally have a... Um, text review of what the session is about. But in the text review, at the bottom, you're going to find some links. And I think you are really going to lo love these links, especially to take them deeper into your own study. One of them will be a link to a video of my first, one of my first teachers in my master's deg degree program in Bible history, Dr. Clyde Billington. And he has a video on Hanukkah and the Maccabees and the history of that time. And it is phenomenal. Uh, you're going to hear from one of the best New Testament archaeologists in the entire world. And indeed, Dr. Billington um, 
He's a fantastic speaker, and I think you will be enthralled listening to that video. Uh, it's a little over an hour long, but um, I suggest if you are a student of the end times, this is a video you don't want to miss. Also, I have a link for you on an article that talks about the historical detail of Daniel 11. Daniel 11, to me, and to many of us in Bible history, is misinterpreted because so many people today aren't connected to the historical events in Israel, starting from the return of the exiles from Babylon, even, in, uh, uh, even up to Jesus' day. And you will be amazed when you look at Daniel 11 to see how it relates to historical events, historical events from 560 BC all the way through 164 BC. Now, what's fascinating about this is Daniel wrote this in his book in 600 BC. So God has opened his eyes. God has inspired him to actually see these events ahead of time. I've also given you a third link to a scholarly article on the dating of the book of Daniel. There is, you might say, a very intense debate among Bible scholars as to when Daniel wrote his book. Some say the second century BC, and those scholars that say second century BC, they said it has to be, because how can anybody foresee all these events? In other words, there are scholars out there who completely dismiss the idea of God's inspiration in terms of Bible prophecy, Bible prediction. So this is an excellent article, one of many, that talks about the dating of Daniel and to show that Daniel wrote that book in the 6th century BC. I think you'll find that fascinating. So, we have seen Jesus on the Mount of Olives, in the Mount Olivet Discourse, talking to his disciples about his return, and he's using the events of the first Hanukkah, using the time period before the first Hanukkah, to teach them, give them a picture, giving his disciples a picture that they understood. That's their history. That's their July 4th. We don't get it. We Gentiles in the 21st century world of today, the United States, have no idea. We read that and we don't understand the historical background of what's going on because he's teaching them. But once we get reconnected to understanding how Jesus is teaching them, then we can understand what what Jesus's purpose was in the first place. And once we do that, it enhances our understanding of God's word and deepens our walk with Jesus. So indeed, Jesus is using those events. And when he talks about the great tribulation, and we just saw that in those verses, the terrible suffering that that's going to happen in those days, is going to be a thousand times worse than those days of the first Hanukkah. That's what he's getting to. And the disciples get it. They understand it. Now, my list may not be, my, my list is not purposely exhaustive. There could be 
other things there that I'm missing. What I'm attempting to do here is to develop the case that indeed Jesus is using Hanukkah to teach his disciples then, not us, but yes, us. Once we reconnect to find out the original purpose of what's actually happening, and indeed, like I said, then our understanding is enhanced and enriched. So is that it? Not really. <laughs> the Lord's not finished. There's a lot more to this. Because we have candle six, seven, and eight to go through yet. We need to take a look at some correlations that are not in the Mount Olivet Discourse, but at other places of the Bible that once you understand Hanukkah, once you understand those events, things become clearer. Let's go see. So as we take a look at this screen, the revolt of the Maccabees has already been going on for about a year. Mattathias is the priest from Modin, and he and his five sons and the people from Modin had started that revolt in about 167 BC. They fled to the Gophna Hills, as we've seen in previous vid videos. But a year later, he died. And his son, Judas the Maccabee, takes over a guerrilla band of rabbis and priests and farmers and Hasadim. Probably the Pharisees came from this group. And so this was his army. Now, Judas's nickname was the Hammer. When we take a look at his name, Judah the Maccabee, some people say Judas the Maccabee. His Hebrew name actually is Yehuda, okay? Hasmonean, his nickname is Ha-Makabi. So Yehuda Ha-Makabi. And the Hebrew word for hammer is Makavet. So indeed, Yehuda Makabi, Judah the hammer. And that's his nickname. And God used these men and women of Torah, people who had not compromised their faith and they relied on the Lord of hosts, who would bless them and empower them to defeat the forces of Greece and Antiochus IV. I want you to look at this picture carefully. And again, we have a picture of Judah the Maccabee, Yehuda Maccabee, Judah the Hammer, before his forces facing the powerful Seleucid Greek army. And I want you to notice this picture. It's going to be important for just a little bit later. In one battle, the Greeks came with 40,000 infantry and 7,000 cavalry. Judah had 3,000 men. He was outnumbered 15 to 1. This is amazing. Judas is a man of God, and he obeyed the Torah. He had more men. But he said, I must live by God's word. And God ordered in the Torah that any newly married man does not have to go to war for the first year. So he sent all the newly married men home. Men who had built a house or planted a vineyard, they had to stay home. They had to take care of the new home. They had to take care of the new planted vineyard for one year. And any of those who were afraid, God said they are not supposed to go to battle. And that's exactly 
what Judah does. And here's his prayer. He prayed before every battle. It is his prayers. I mean, you just, they're so full of power and so full of seeing Judah, who is a devoted man of God. Prepare yourselves for battle and be courageous. Be ready early tomorrow morning to fight these Gentiles who have joined forces to attack us and destroy us in our temple. It is better for us to die fighting than to stand idly by and watch the destruction of our nation and our temple. Let the Lord's will be done as it is in heaven. Interesting statement in terms of the fact of those of us who obviously know the Lord's prayer so well. This is a bust from a statue of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. The picture there from the right is an artist's rendering of the abomination of desolation. It was just more than sacrifices, a pagan sacrifice or a pagan altar on the uh, temple altar, but it was pagan statues, um, sacrifices uh, to their gods on the actual temple or on the temple altar. And sexual immorality that was so common in the Greek culture in terms of the worship of their gods, and they did that in the house of God in Jerusalem. Judas, Judah, the Maccabee, is fighting Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV, he's anti-Torah and anti-Israel. And in Daniel 8, he's the little horn. And he's referenced in Daniel 11. And everybody would say that when we're studying the book of Daniel, that this Antiochus IV is a picture of the Antichrist. Judah the hammer versus the man who says he is God, a man who is anti-Israel, a man who is anti-Torah, and a man like the coming beast, like the coming Antichrist in the end of days. So we notice this picture, Jesus on a white horse with the sword coming with the armies of heaven in Revelation 19. And I saw opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. We know this is Jesus. And we go back to that sentence where it says, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus has a nickname. His nickname is the Word of God. This is going to be so important as we go into other videos. It's going to be critical. We'll come back to this later. That's his nickname. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine white linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the, uh, the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then we saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast, as most of us know, seemingly is a word in the book of Revelation that is assigned directly to the Antichrist. Jesus. Yeshua. Jesus versus the beast. Jesus versus the Antichrist. The Antichrist is anti-Torah. Anti-Israel. Antichrist, just like what was going on with Judah the Maccabee. Amazing. Here we see Jesus sitting with his disciples. And as Jesus ascends to the Father, later on the temple's destroyed in 70 A.D., the New Testament letters, books start being written. And God is inspiring John and Matthew and Peter to write those of Paul. What did those, what did those disciples think? Especially Revelation 19 and saying, wait a minute. This is Hanukkah. This is about the coming of the king. Indeed, Judah fought against Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, who said he was God. That is, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes said he was God, and he was anti-Israel, and anti the Bible, and anti-Torah. Came against and massacred so many thousands of Jewish believers. And we talk about the Antichrist. He will be Antichrist, anti-Bible, probably anti-Israel as well. Very interesting connection. So what did they hear? What did they think of? And for us, as we reconnect to that history, all of a sudden, Hanukkah was taking on a different meaning. A different meaning for those of us who say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and God of Gods. So the sixth candle is lit. And as Jewish people celebrating Hanukkah would remember Judah defeating the forces of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was anti-Israel, anti-Torah, anti-Bible, anti-God, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the Jacob, so too. The Lord has inspired John in the book of Revelation to say that's a picture of Yeshua. King of, King of kings and Lord of lords, the almighty one who defeats the beast. We'll say our blessing.
Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melach Haholam. Ashir Kitshudu be mitzvotav. Veinatan lanu Yeshua. Adonenu, Mashienu, Chaor, Haholam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God and King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and given us Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, the light of the world. Until next time, may the Lord bless you with his shalom.